Uh, There's a growing crisis in workplaces and universities. Many competent, successful people suffer from something called imposter syndrome. Uh, It's a secret fear that their lack of ability will be exposed, that they're not as capable as everyone believes, that their success was due to lack, that they don't deserve the achievements that they've received. Imposter syndrome stops people from stretching themselves and trying new things. It stops them going for promotion. It stops them risking anything for a big project. Imposter syndrome stunts teamwork and collaboration because people are too scared to ask for help. They don't want anyone else to suspect that they're not competent. People can hide imposter syndrome in all sorts of ways. They criticise and put people down to make themselves feel bigger. Or they're workaholics because the amount, uh, they make the amount of work they do a source of validation as a cover-up for their own insecurities. Other, others are perfectionists uh, who set incredibly high standards for their work because if they achieve anything less than perfection they take it personally and doubt themselves. Others who suffer from imposter syndrome micromanage. They won't delegate. They won't start something for fear of failure. It shows itself in all sorts of ways. Fear governs the behaviour of many people at work for much of the time. But of course it's not just at work. Anxiety is the new epidemic An Australian Government Health report says that one in seven Australians experienced anxiety disorders in the previous 12 months. One in seven. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. Compared to the Australia of our parents' generation, uh, today we have a fear of job security, housing prices, the cost of living, economic uncertainty, climate change, environmental destruction, terrorism... Max Licardo in his book Fearless writes, we fear being sued, finishing last, going broke, we fear the mole on the back, the new kid on the block, the sound of the clock as it ticks us closer to the grave. We implement sophisticated investment plans, create elaborate security systems and stronger military, yet we depend on mood-altering drugs more than any generation in history, Moreover, the average child today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. (laughs) The Bible passage passage we just read, Jesus asked his disciples a great question, why are you so afraid? In other words, yes, there are scary things in the world, but I am with you. Jesus has the power and the wisdom and the love to deal with whatever there is in front of us. Why are you so afraid? Now much has changed in our world since Jesus' time, but in other ways not much has changed. There are the same fears, pretty similar dangers, the same things that we have no control over and so that is a great question for us as well. Why are you so afraid? Maybe it's phobias that you can't control. Heights, enclosed spaces, flying, public speaking, spiders. 
Maybe it's a fear of not being in control or of being exposed, like imposter syndrome, of being seen for what you really are, or a fear of not being accepted or a fear of being ridiculed. Or maybe it's a fear of what hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's an anxiety or a worry about what might happen tomorrow. We all have fears. We all have fears. We have fears about not letting anybody know what our fears are. (laughs) We have fears in different combinations and different amounts, but we all fear. But here's the problem. Our fears impact our lives. Our fears impact the choices we make. They limit life and we miss out because of fear. We settle for second best because of fear. We miss out on new experiences. We miss out on the character development that comes from being stretched and taken out of our comfort zones. We miss out on opportunities to help people. Jesus cares that we are scared and he wants us not to fear. In fact, it's his most common command. Someone has counted 125 commands of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. 21 urge us not to fear or to have courage. 21. The second most common command appears only eight times. If we simply go on the numbers, it is very important to Jesus that we not fear. Over the next five weeks we're going to examine fear, learn what God wants us to know about our fears and how we can learn to be fearless. The story we've just read is a familiar one. Uh, it's night time, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. He spent the day teaching, he's exhausted. Uh, halfway across the lake, verse 37, a furious storm blows in. The wind and the waves are so big that the boat is in danger of being swamped. Everyone is busy. They're madly trying to keep themselves alive. Uh, they're tying down sails. They're wrestling with the tiller. They're bailing water. There's plenty of reason to fear and Jesus is sleeping. Now at some point in their busyness they, they notice Jesus. They notice him sleeping and it bothers them. Verse 38, they wake him up and they accuse him, don't you care if we drown? Do you notice their focus? Their focus is his concern for them. They, mis- they mistake his inactivity for disinterest. They don't question his power. They know he can do something. They don't question his knowledge. He knows they're in trouble. They question his character. They, they question his care for them. And that's what fear does. Fear undermines or corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. We begin to doubt his interest in us. We begin to doubt his love for us. That thing we fear casts this huge shadow that blocks out the light. That big thing we fear stands in the way of us seeing God. And that thing becomes an idol. 
The second thing fear does is it shortens our memory. We forget. We forget what God has already done. We forget the prayer he's already answered. We forget where we've come from and where we are now. Fear does that. We forget. Do you see how it worked for the disciples? Uh, We're at the end of chapter 4. Chapter 4 was all about Jesus' teaching, but if you look back into chapter 3, Jesus has healed so many people and cast out so many demons, the crowd is so great around him, uh, he has to hop into a small boat, chapter 3 verse 9, to stop being pushed into the lake. It's maybe even the same boat that they're in right at this moment in the middle of the storm. And they had to get pushed out into that boat because so many people were being healed. And the disciples have forgotten it. The fear of the moment has caused them to forget uh, the past. They've mistaken Jesus' lack of action for a lack of power or knowledge or concern. And we often do the same thing. We're in a difficult situation. Fear is hovering. Uh, there's this knot in our stomach. We've prayed about it and we've prayed but nothing's happened and fear twists itself around us even more and we begin to question. We question God. What is he doing? Or more specifically, what is he not doing? But God's answer may be not yet. Keep praying. Learn to trust me through the storm. Learn to not fear. Then I will calm the storm. His answer may be, you want the storm to stop, but I have a different plan for this storm. My will is that this storm continues, at least for the moment. It's my instrument. I'm using it to work work on you. We want the storm to stop and to stop instantly but storms will come. We shouldn't be surprised that the Christian life has storms in it. In fact, Jesus promised it. Shortly before his death, he said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. There's no sugarcoating it with Jesus. You will have trouble. But then he adds, but take heart. Have confidence. Have courage. I have overcome the world in which you have trouble. I've overcome it. Fears make the storm bigger than Jesus. But Jesus says, have courage because I'm bigger than the storms. He corrects our fears. He says, get the balance right. I'm bigger than this storm and I'm bigger than the world because I've beaten it. And so verse 39, Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And they obey him because he's overcome the world. They obey him just as sickness obeys him, just as satanic forces obey him. They go completely quiet, completely submissive recognising his power over them, even while the disciples doubt. And he turns to the disciples in verse 40 and says, why are you so afraid? Why? You should have known better. You should have remembered. 
And then he adds, see what he adds? Do you still have no faith? Fear is connected to a lack of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. <clears throat> now let's be clear, fear is not always a lack of faith. There are times when a certain type of fear is wise, as Merrick showed with the kids' talk. It's appropriate and right to have a healthy caution in certain situations. It will stop you putting yourself in danger. Fear of lung cancer is a good thing. It'll stop you smoking. It's right to be cautious as you approach a hilltop lookout. You don't want to get too close to the edge. It's right to be cautious when you drive on a slippery road because then you'll drive to the conditions. A healthy respect for electricity is a good thing. It'll stop you rewiring your house yourself. Now that sort of caution is not a lack of faith. That sort of fear, if you want to call it fear, is using our God-given wisdom. That sort of caution actually opens up the world to opportunities. It keeps you alive. It enables you to get and to move and to be and to exist. That sort of caution is a good thing. It opens your world up. But sinful fear, fear that comes from a lack of faith, does the opposite. It paralyses, it limits Fear makes you miss out. The wrong sort of fear actually stops you climbing the hill and so you miss out on seeing the incredible view. It stops you driving cautiously on a wet road and so you cancel dinner with friends. Fear stops you catching the plane altogether so you miss the incredible experiences of the overseas mission trip. It robs you of joy. But it doesn't just rob you, it robs God. Your fear robs God of your service in his kingdom. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God. God has given you his spirit who equips you. Uh, Make yourself open to his equipping Train, develop, use the gifts that the Spirit gives you. He says, fan into flame that gift, for God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. Fan into flame God's Spirit because that he will equip you for those fearful situations. His Spirit influences us with power and love and self-confidence, the, the very things we need to replace fear. And those characteristics of power and love and self-confidence, they actually have a purpose. Paul goes on in verse 8 as as to what Timothy needs to to do with that spirit. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Join with me in suffering, he says. Fear runs away from those things. It runs away from testifying to a hostile world. Fear runs away from suffering. But God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of power, enables you to stand firm. The spirit of love, love for your enemies, motivates you to speak to them when it's easy to be silent. 
The spirit of self-discipline enables your will to win the battle over what your flesh wants when it comes to speaking and suffering. And ultimately, it's a confidence, a faith, a trust in God that is the beginning of all of that. A trust that God's way is right, that his promises are sure, that his plans are wise and will succeed. It's a trust that God, that Jesus has overcome the world. It's that faith which fuels the spirit power and love and self-discipline that will enable you to speak the gospel and endure persecution and live for his kingdom. So overcoming that fear enables God's kingdom to grow. But when we're stuck in fear and our world is closing in on us, none of those things happen. Max Picardo continues, he says, when fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk-averse accomplish noble deeds for God, for others? No. The fear-filled cannot love deeply because love is risky. They cannot give to the poor because benevolence has no guarantee of return. The fear-filled cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. No wonder Jesus wages such a war against fear. You see, what fear does is it makes danger greater than God. It lines the two up and it shifts the balance. It gives danger more credit and power than it deserves. Fear looks at danger through a microscope and makes it big and looks at God through a telescope and makes him small. And when God is small, we don't turn to him. We don't turn to him in our fear. When God is small, we turn away from him and we respond from our own strength. We respond with anger or we respond with silence or with binges of eating and drinking or mind-numbing TV or computer games or vice-like control and not being willing to let anybody else in. When we fear, we turn to ourselves. But faith recognises that God is greater, that God is greater than the danger. Faith trusts Jesus' words when he says, take courage, I have overcome the world. Faith is able to express itself in courage in the midst, in the face of the fear. Courage is the strength to act despite fear. Courage says, I'm trusting that God will look after me on that wet road, even though I'm fearful. Courage is saying, I'm going to get on that flight and I'm trusting God, even though I'm fearful. Courage says, even if something does happen, God will be with me. Courage says, even if the worst happens and I die, he's with me in that as well. 
Courage speaks Romans 5, 9 to 11 to yourself in the midst of fear. Since you have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall you be saved from his wrath? For if when when you were God's enemy you were reconciled, how much more having been reconciled shall you be saved? Not only is this so, but you also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom you've received reconciliation. Courage speaks those words to yourself in the midst of fear. So how do we do that? How can we move from fear to faith? How can we fan into flame the gift of God, the spirit of courage? Well, notice how the story finishes, verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's like they see Jesus for the first time. Their attention turns from the calm sea and the still air and they look at Jesus with new eyes. And their fear of drowning changes into a fear of the one who has saved them from drowning, the one who is greater than the storm, greater than the sea, greater than Satan, greater than the world. Who is this? That's a great question to ask, isn't it? It's the beginning of the solution to your fears. In the midst of your fears, we need to see more of Jesus, more of his love, his power, more of his wisdom and more of his understanding of our temptations and our fears, more of his high priestly representation of our weaknesses before the throne. We need to see more of God's purposes in the world to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under the Lord Jesus. We need to see that. We need to see a Jesus like the Jesus of Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his crown, on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's you and me. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is someone to lead you through the storm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our fears, to see Jesus. Help us to fan into flame the gift of the Spirit that you have given us, the Spirit of power and love and self-control, that we might live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.